Good morning. It's so good to see all of you and to be able to worship together. And um, I want to echo uh, Pastor Kyle's welcome. Um, if you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you're here with us and that we're able uh, to worship together and to welcome you here uh, to City Church. Thank you for joining us. And um, what a gift it is to be able to be together and be reminded of God's truth. Um, if you are a guest with us, you saw this uh, slide during uh, the reading of the scripture. Uh, although we uh, were looking at uh, Corinthians or what was read for us, uh, we're in a study in the book of Joshua. We're going to be in chapter 6 this morning. So if you want to open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 6, um, we would, that is where uh, we will pick up. Last weekend, we were away from this place celebrating Baptism Sunday, and what a joy that was. I hope that you were able to be with us, and um, if you were, I just trust and believe that uh, you were surely encouraged um, by all the testimonies uh, that were shared and the acknowledgement of what God is doing uh, in our midst. And uh, man, just an amazing thing to think of and to see how God is moving um, in this church and in our uh, community um, and we're so grateful to be a part of that. Along those lines, we're going to do something this morning just uh, that we haven't uh, historically done in our church, but we hope to make this a bit of a new tradition. Um, but we want to give glory and praise and thanks uh, to God as he builds up his church. Uh, we often pray in this church that we ask the Lord, echoing the words of the Lord's Prayer, that he would build uh, his kingdom here on earth through this church as it is in heaven, that we might see the kingdom of God being multiplied and growing here. And we saw, again, testimony of that last week, but we also see that as we get to welcome new covenant partners to our church family. And so uh, if you're not familiar with that term, um, that means that you haven't been to a City Church 101 class. And that means the next time you hear about City Church 101, you need to go to that class where you'll understand uh, what that means. But a covenant partner here at City Church is our way of acknowledging membership and um, defining membership. And we talk a lot about that in that class and explain that. But we do want to just take just a moment to welcome uh, these new covenant partners, and many of them are not new to our church, but are new in uh, partnering with us and committing to membership here. Uh, Mary Allen, Kinsey Chupp, Chris and Katie Connell, Jeremy and Brittany Cuba, Jim and Joe Eubank, Rob and Janine Ewing, Kai and Mary Fu, Lawrence and Becca Gowdy, Harrison and Abigail Hoffman, Chris and Megan Jeffries, Keith and Aurelia McDonald, Bryce and Kristen Moody, Mike Schick, Dana and Ellen Tillman. What a gift. All of those families joining us in partnership, um, and some of them you don't know because you're here in the early hour, and maybe they worship in the late hour, but uh, we want to celebrate and give God glory and thanks for uh, multiplying the church in our midst and growing us, and so we welcome these new partners, and you want to get to know them. If you don't know those names, then make it a mission, play a game of figuring out who you don't know, and say, are you one of those new covenant partners that uh, was mentioned? Um, again, if, uh, if you haven't uh, been a part of that, and you you want to learn more about membership here, uh, the, uh, the first step to that is uh, coming to our City Church 101 class, uh, which the next one will be on November 14th. You'll have an opportunity to attend that class if you'd like to do that. Uh, with that being said, uh, let's jump into Joshua chapter 6. If you were 
It's been two weeks since we last looked at Joshua, so it wouldn't surprise me unless you're in one of our men's and women's Bible studies that you've forgotten uh, what God did in uh, Joshua chapter 5. But just before uh, the people of God are sent to take down Jericho, God deals with his people and calls them to obedience. And God tells Joshua that he must circumcise all of the men of Israel so that they might be in obedience to his word and they might reflect him. This was a, a circumcision was given to God's people as the symbol of his covenant with Abraham. And this is how his people would be set apart and marked. And so he says, before you think, I know you think you're ready to go and take down Jericho and the people of Jericho are uh, struck with fear right now. And so surely it's time to go on the offensive and go on the attack. He says, no, I want you to pause and I want you to do, I want you to be who I have called you to be before you do anything further. And so he has this time in a sense of worship. And at the end of chapter five, Joshua meets the commander of the Lord's army and the commander in verse 15, the commander of the Lord's army says to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And so Joshua has this time of worship before the commander of the Lord's army. And in a sense, Joshua had asked, are you for us or are you against us just prior to that? And as he asked that question, he's asking, are we ready to go? Is it time now to go into battle? And even before then, again, once again, God says to Joshua, no, this is just a time to pause and to worship. But in chapter six, we see now it is time to go. But once again, it is not going to be, they're not going in the way that Joshua or any of the people of Israel, we can imagine, would have assumed they would be going. Verse one of chapter six. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. Just as a reminder, all the way back to when Joshua sent two spies into Jericho to scout it out and to figure out what was going on there, uh, Rahab tells the two spies and ultimately to pass on to Joshua that they have been, their hearts have melted within them. They have heard, they have simply just heard about the God of Israel and what he has done in the past, the Red Sea and all of those things, they just heard the stories had reached Jericho in such a way that the people that lived there said, I want nothing to do with opposing this God. Their hearts had melted within them. Now, fast forward, they've actually seen the Israelites cross over the River Jordan there in Gilgal, which is just a little bit away from Jericho. And so they surely would have known and seen how it was that God had brought his people into this land. And so ultimately, they shut up the city. They close everything down. This is one of just a couple of cities mentioned in Scripture, by the way, that we see that it is a walled city, not a giant city, because we know that they could march around it. We're going to read of here in a few moments. But a walled city that is protected, and so they hide themselves within the city. And as they're doing that, the Lord says to Joshua in verse 2, See, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. Joshua, do you see how they've closed up the gate? They've closed all of the windows. They've battened down the hatches. No one is coming in or going out. See that I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor, with all of their might, with all of their strength. See what I have done. And so he says this. He says that he's given the city into his hand. And then in verse 3, he says, you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout. 
and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So this is what God says to Joshua. This is the promise that he makes. And it's a very helpful reminder to us of one of the things that we started when we started this book. If you haven't been with us, you want to go back anywhere you find a podcast, you can catch up on this sermon series. But from the very beginning, we talked about two words that Joshua teaches us about God. God makes promises before he issues commands. Before he asks us to do anything, he makes a promise to us. So often in life, one of the reasons that the culture and even some of us perhaps in this room have had a little bit of a challenge with the church and have pushed back somewhat and saying, I'm not really sure about religion. I'm not sure about this God. And maybe we have abstained. We've sort of had our heels dug in a little bit against God. One of the reasons that that happens so often in the culture is because we start talking about what we should do before we remind everyone and even ourselves about the promises of God. You want to raise your children to love and follow the Lord. I want to encourage you as parents, remind them and teach them the promises of God and then lead them into following and submission to the commands of God. If we flip that on its head, that's where we get legalism and we begin to think to ourselves in some way that creeps into our hearts that the only way for me to appease God is to obey these commands. And it doesn't matter what promises he's made to us. No, what God does here is he reminds Joshua and the Lord says to Joshua, see that I have given you Jericho. This is the promise that I made to you, Joshua. This is the promise that I made to your fathers, Joshua. I am fulfilling the promises that I've made now in response to what I have promised you, in response to what I have already done. Now I'm gonna ask you to be obedient. I'm gonna ask you to follow my ways, which looks like, marching around a city for seven days. It's a little bit silly. I've got to imagine the Israelites and even Joshua, perhaps Joshua being, you know, Joshua, he's got that close relationship with the Lord, but I've got to imagine that most of the people were like, all right, this is ridiculous. (laughs) This is what we're going to do. We're going to walk around the city for seven days. That's supposed to do something to them. And maybe a few of them thought, okay, let me see. What he's trying to do is he's trying to get them scared of us. If they see us sort of marching around, they'll hear us, and maybe that'll strike fear to them. But if you really look at the circuit, the, the walls are already shut up. The gate is closed. They didn't need the people to be any more fearful. No, this is about the Lord demonstrating that he will have the victory because of who he is, not because of what his people do. That's the way the Lord works. And so he asks again, he says, Joshua, remember the promise. I mean, it would be wise for us, as we've done every week, to remind ourselves to think about the promises that God has made to us. And as we remember these promises, obedience will follow. If I've made a promise to you, then you will follow through and you will respond to that promise just in a human sense. God has made eternal promises to us and we can respond and we will respond with obedience. And so this is what the Israelites do. God gives this command for Joshua to march around the city and to do exactly, gives all of the details and how they are to march. In verses eight through 14, essentially, This is a summary of them following through in obedience doing. They go and they march for six days. Verses 15 through 26 of chapter 6 is the seventh day where we see them follow through and ultimately the wall will fall. Rahab will be saved. And so this is what happens. 
God does exactly what he promised he would do. He has given the city into his hands and they will receive the city just as God has promised them. One of the other interesting things that we can see about how God works and learn and I believe helps us in our lives today Notice where the Lord is or the symbol of the Lord is. Verse four, seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. We've talked about this in weeks past, but the ark of the covenant is the symbol to Israel of God's presence with them. And so as God sends Joshua to go out to Jericho and to walk around the city six, six, for six days and then on the seventh day, seven times, he sends the, his, the symbol of his presence, the ark of the covenant will go before the people of Israel reminding them every day that God is with them. He is present with them. And as God makes promises to us and then he calls us to live obediently, one of the things that is so helpful to remember is that God is always with us. Jesus made this promise to us that he would never leave or forsake us. And so as we walk in obedience to his commands, Remembering the promises that he's made to us, we can do that joyfully because we know and we experience that Christ is with us. God is ever present with us. Have you had a hard thing, something that you faced in your life this week, this month? I can tell you that in our church family, just in the last two weeks, we've lost four parents of family members, moms, and a dad. These families are grieving. Their hearts are broken. There's serious illness and sicknesses. Families in our midst that are battling cancer and dealing with so many challenges. I don't know all the details of your lives, but I gotta assume there's job challenges, there's relationship challenges, there's marriages that are on the brink. There's people that have been laid off or they're worried about what's coming next for them and their work and all of these things to remember that Jesus is with us. He will never leave or forsake you, that God is with us as we live out our days. That's a promise of God. That's a promise that he is with you. He will not leave or forsake you. He has not left or forsake you. Even when we experience the darkness and the brokenness of this world, he is with us. And we can bank on that promise. We can live in response to that promise. Yes, we can go into even some of the hardest and challenging times in our lives. And we can keep our eyes on him and we can do so in obedience because of what he has promised us. He's with you. He is with us. So as the Israelites go to march around the city, God goes before them. God goes with them. As we think about this, chapter six, many of us have probably heard of the battle of Jericho many times. Sometimes it's referenced, perhaps some of your Bibles even have a heading above chapter six that sort of those titles that tell you what's about to happen. It says the battle of Jericho. Or it's referred to as the Battle of Jericho. I find that almost comical. Because this is nothing of the sense of battle that I've ever seen. There's no battle really involved here, it seems. Isn't it interesting that this would be referred to as the battle when ultimately, mostly what's happening here is God's people are simply marching in a circle for seven days. That doesn't sound very much like a battle. 
If we think of what the Israelites were doing in this as they were obedient to God, they had never conquered in their past a walled city before. And because they had never conquered a a walled city before, they'd never gone to battle against a walled city that's recorded in Scripture for us, we can know that they had no tools to do battle against a walled city. Some of you have seen enough movies, you know how you do battle against a walled city. You have to get ladders, they climb up, you know, they're going to throw tar down on you or some sort of hot liquid upon you. You've got to have a, a battering ram, right? You've got to take that to the front door of the wooden door. They've got to bang on it. It's always just, it never, it, it, right on time. They can never bust through until they get everything squared away inside the city. You've got to have a, some sort of a battering ram to deal with that. Perhaps, if not the battering ram, you can dig a hole underneath the tunnel or underneath the wall and you can come up, surprise them in the middle of the city. The hero bounces out with his sword and takes down everyone on his own. All the arrows miss. That's how you do battle against a walled city. The Israelites had no means to do battle against a walled city. They were not prepared to do battle against the walled city. It's like this afternoon we'll see a team oppose America's team, and they are not prepared, and they're not able. (laughs) But God had promised this city into his people's hands. God had said, I give you this, and yet they had no means to do battle with this city. And see, this is one of the things that this battle teaches us. God had promised this land where Jericho sat to the people of Israel long ago. And God had already determined the outcome of this circumstance. It might have been in question to Joshua, perhaps, perhaps even more so to the people of Israel as they walked around the city and they wondered exactly what God was doing. But this scenario, this situation is a perfect picture, a perfect display of God's sovereignty. The Israelites marched and the people hid inside the walls. The people of Jericho, more than likely, as they sort of probably peer through their little windows, there are people, you know, we know Rahab lived in the walls, so we've got to understand there must have been some sort of outside. They might have peered down and looked at these people and thought, these people are really strange. They may have even thought of the Israelites, they're a little bit crazy. They're just marching in a circle. But soon, there would be no doubt to anyone, the Israelites or the people of Jericho, as to who was in charge. God was the one who was taking action. God was the one who was moving. There once was a wall surrounding my heart and your heart a wall that none of us had any tools or equipment or capacity to deal with on our own. That wall existed, and there was no means that we had within our own power, no battering ram, no ladders, no uh, shovels to dig a tunnel with that was going to get around the wall that surrounded our hearts. It was, as Ephesians says, As Galatians says, as much of the New Testament says, it was in our nature that this wall existed around our hearts. Our very being, my very being, was opposed to the ways of God. But God. Then he took action. In his sovereignty, he determined that my heart was land that he had claimed long before he had ever even created the world. He had said, that son, that one is mine. 
And he had claimed my heart long before any of us ever existed. And he would surely win that battle. He has won that battle. I want you to imagine for a moment if the Israelites had disobeyed God. If they had decided to try and do battle their own way. They had tried to figure out some way to take their meager little spears and maybe string them together into some sort of a battering ram or to dig with their hands to get a tunnel underneath the wall or something like that. They didn't want to look strange. They want to do this weird thing about marching in a circle. Why in the world is this the way that God would have us do these things? And they would have tried to attack Jericho. If God allowed them, let's just assume he didn't just push them away. He allows them to try their own way, even though they have no tools. They punch the wall. They go up to the door trying to use their own strength and might. And it would have been futile. And all that would have happened was they would have hurt themselves. Does this sound like mankind trying to figure out a way to reconcile itself to God under its own decisions, its own mind, our own way of doing things. This is how I'm going to do things. This is the way I believe I should do these things so that God might respond to me. That's what we so often do. Many of our stories, we would share our testimonies of us trying to punch a hole in the wall around our hearts some way, metaphorically, and under our own strength, our own power, doing it our way. And all we end up doing is hurting ourselves, hurting others around us, and we never yield to God. God's way is the only way. And here's the amazing thing. God has them do this, has them take this crazy plan of marching in a circle And he does it to accomplish their good, to give them the land that he had promised to them. And ultimately, as we say often, it's what also brought him the most glory. Because this wasn't a battle that was won because of human strength. This wasn't a battle that was won because of military might, military precision, some ability within man to figure out how to take down this city. This battle was won because God promised that that land would be his people's long before. And God fulfills his promises to us. We can decide that we're going to live according to the flesh. We're going to live how we want to live. And the enemy, the dark forces, spiritual forces that surround us can convince us that we're going to do things the way the world would have us do things. We're going to determine our own paths. We're going to do things our way. And so often when that happens, what happens is our enemy becomes other people. As Christians, our enemy becomes other people or other spiritual beliefs, religious beliefs, other things out there in the world. One of the things this, less, this battle teaches us, this story of Jericho teaches us, is that we have one enemy, one enemy, our flesh and the dark forces that surround us that try and convince us that God's way is not the way, that his purposes are not for us, that he is not good. This is the enemy that we fight. It's not the enemy that's out there in the world. It's the enemy within But we don't fight like the world would fight. We fight by elevating Christ, by remembering his promises to us. We elevate Christ in our own hearts and we live in such a way that we elevate Christ in the hearts and minds of others as they see the evidence of Christ's fruit in our own lives. 
And guess what miraculously happens when we do that? Walls fall down. Walls surrounding our own hearts and walls surrounding the hearts of others in our midst, friends, family, loved ones, they fall down. One of the interesting things about the word that is used about these walls when they actually fall If we skip down to verse 15, on the seventh day they rose at the day of dawn and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Verse 20, so the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city. The wall fell down flat. We can't see the walls of Jericho and how they fell, but the language that is used there is language to describe a wall crumbling beneath itself under its own weight. The wall didn't fall out. It didn't just sort of tip over. Discovery Channel wants you to believe that they marched around and created some sort of an earthquake that undergirded their cause, the undergirding of the wall to sort of break up and then that allowed the wall to fall. But God's word uses very descriptive language to say that the wall fell down underneath it as if a hand was pushing it down like sand. The hand of God pushing that wall down. It fell down and crumbled underneath itself. Because God said that the wall would come down. It didn't come down because man made it come down. It came down because God said it would come down. This is why Hebrews 11.30 says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, the people of God, trusting in the promise of God and acting accordingly, and God moved. We need to remember the promises of God. And we get to receive communion last week. We celebrated baptism. And we got to hear testimonies after testimony, 15 people testifying to what Christ had done in their life. We often say that baptism is the symbol that says and declares to an outside world, to others around us, says, I am a Christian. I want you to know, you might have heard that in many testimonies. They ask, why do you want to be baptized? Because I want everyone to know that I'm a Christian. As they celebrate God's sovereign hand, his promise to them to redeem them. He is taking that heart, those hearts, and they are his That's land that he has claimed. Those are lives that he has claimed for his own possession. Well, as we receive communion today, what we often say about communion is, this is us telling one another, I'm still a Christian. I still believe today. And I'm banking my life. I am anchoring my life to the promises of God. So as we prepare to receive communion this morning, 
I just want to ask you, I want to encourage you as we've done week after week, as we've worked our way through the book of Joshua, consider the promises of God for your life. The worship team is going to begin to lead us in a song and you might want to stand up and join them in singing, but you, you may need to just sit quietly and just remember and reflect the promises of God before you come and receive from the Lord's table. As you think about the promises of God, it's then that you take actions that are in response to that promise. Again, one of the missteps that we so often make is that we think this is what I'm supposed to do. I need to do this. I need to do this. We get, we're so built, our lives are built around making lists and keeping calendars that we kind of do that with the Lord. But what the Lord asks of us is that we would remember Jesus, when he gave us communion, gave us the Lord's Supper, he said to his disciples to do this in remembrance of him. Remember the promises that God has made to you and then respond to those promises that he has made in faith and in obedience and come and receive from his table. Everyone who professes Christ as Lord and Savior is welcome to come and take from the Lord's table. If you'd say to yourself this morning, well, I can't confess Jesus as Lord of my life, then what I would encourage you to do is just to sit this morning as the worship team leads and consider what is God saying to your soul this morning, right now, today? Would you believe that you're here because God brought you here so that you might hear and know of his great love for you? And would you allow the Holy Spirit of God in this moment right now to tear down the walls that sort of surrounded your heart as you've tried to pursue life in all of the ways that you've decided and tried on your own power under your own strength? Would today be the day of salvation where you just yield and you say, no, I'm gonna give my life to the Lord? And perhaps that's what you need to do this morning. We're going to spend some time just in prayer, remembering the promises of God, and then come and receive from the Lord's table. If you need a gluten-free option, those are at the back of the room. All the others are here at the front. As the worship team leads us, just make your way to the table, and then we'll take communion together at the end of the song. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd come now, that you would move as only you can move. Help those of us who have professed faith in your name, Jesus, to remember the great promises that you've made to us and to live according to those promises. Help us even now before we receive from your table to confess how we've tried to do things under our own strength, tried to do things our way. Perhaps we've made other things beyond just our own flesh and the spiritual forces of darkness our enemy. We've forgotten that we don't do battle against flesh and blood. So help us to remember that. And I pray for anyone in this room who does not know you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. Move and tear down the walls that surround those hearts that they might come to know you, to know your love, to receive your grace this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.